I'll invite you, if you would, to look in your program, and you're going to find some message notes in there. Just grab them, pull them out. You'll be able to take some notes. All the Bible verses we'll use will be there. Uh, if you want to open your Bible, you can open to Genesis chapter 6. That's where we're going to be camping out for a lot of our time together today as we talk about uh, this whole issue of integrity. Now, as I was thinking about fatherhood and dads today, uh, this in two days, I will have been a dad for 17 years. And so I've been thinking about some things that I've learned being a dad for 17 years. And uh, Kim, she's gotten to be a mom for more than 17 years because she got nine months to be a mom that, you know, and it's not at conception that you become a father, it's at birth you become a father, right? And, and so it's just a whole deal there. But uh, at 17 years, what I realize is, is that I've done some things well. Okay, I just realized that I've done some things well because I've tried, I've worked at this whole thing of being a father, but I also realized that I've made my share of mistakes. I've done some things that weren't so good or so well, didn't work out the way I would have wanted them to and ended up with egg on my face or actually ended up maybe doing some damage in some ways. If I was to sum up though, the most important thing that I seem to have learned in 17 years about being a dad is this, my life impacts the lives of my kids. My life impacts the lives of my kids. This is kind of one thing I've learned over time. I realize that how I've treated them and how I've treated their mom, how I've lived out my faith, both at home and at work as a pastor, has impacted how my kids view themselves. I realize that. I realize that how I've fathered my kids has impacted how my kids view their heavenly father. And so today, dads and grandfathers and granddads and great-granddads and stepdads make no, respon- no mistake about it. Make no mistake about this. We have a huge responsibility when it comes to being people of integrity, a huge responsibility. Your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, your great-grandkids, you got to know, they are watching you. They are learning from you. And the choices you've made and the choices you will make are not done down in some dark closet somewhere where no one's going to observe them. They see your choices every day as you live out your character, as you live out your life. They see the choices you make. They see whether you're in line with what you've been teaching, what you've been saying, and whether you're not. And they learn from you how to live life, how to live a life of integrity. And the truth is, we just need to understand that our lives radically influence the lives of our children, the way that we live. Now, let's be honest. No matter how hard you've tried to be a good father or grandfather or uncle, I think that every dad in here, if we're honest, would be able to say, you know, I could have done a better job. I didn't always leave it on the field at the end of the day. I could have done a better job. And I would say that uh, when it, that's true when it comes to us being dads. There are things I regret, but as I said, there are also things I know I did well. Did well. Now, this Father's Day, you guys know about my life. You know that my dad died two months ago. So this Father's Day is exceptionally meaningful for me. And I've been thinking about his life more and more and processing how he's impacted me. And if you didn't read my email blast from this week that I send out every week, you might want to read that. Just go online and look in your in basket. And if it's in your waste basket, pull it back out, you know, and read it. And that might be wonderful as I talk about my dad there. If you need help, you can also go to our Facebook page, our Twin Cities Church Facebook page, and you can find it there as well. And just read, you can read about my dad and his influence my, uh, in my life. Now, as 
my dad passed away. I, you were awesome in your care for me and the cards and letters and emails and different things. But I think the most meaningful thing, and this came from multiple sources. So it really, the first time I read it, but it just came from multiple sources. Even I got a card yesterday from someone saying, I know Father's Day may be hard and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Said the same thing. And here was what was said. Your dad must have been a special man to have such a great son. I love that. Not because of what it said about me, but because of what it said about my dad. And because it got me to thinking about my dad and the legacy that my dad has is being lived out in me. I am my dad's legacy. We as children become our father's and our mother's legacy in life. And we, the choices we make impact them. And so we want to make sure that the choices we make will leave a good legacy as they live their lives. Our dads weren't perfect, folks. We know that to be true. No dad is. But for the most part, and this is my honest belief, that I believe that most men, most dads, do the best with what they've been given. Most dads, most dad, they do the best with what they've been given. I know that there's some that didn't and made choices that hurt in very difficult ways, but I think that most did the best with what they were given. And if you had a dad who hurt you in some way, physically, emotionally, or wasn't there for you, abandoned you in some way, I just want you to know that I care about that. Our church cares, and I want you to know that God cares. He cares. He's promised this in his word, to be a father to the fatherless. And the fatherless, in my mind, include everyone who lacked a good role model in their dad, that he wants to be that role model. So think about those things as we come to our talk today, and we're going to expand this a lot to include all of us today as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. We've been looking at this for the last several weeks to saying it's time to grow. And uh, so what I want to do is we're going to look at the verses from Galatians 5. I didn't put them on your notes. Figured we'd had them there for the last several weeks, and so we just read them out loud from the screen. So if you'll read with me, that'd be great. Ready to go. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so we've looked at these, you know, fruit by fruit over the last few weeks as we talked about them. Today, what we decided to do was combine goodness and faithfulness, and you're going to see why as we get to this, into one talk to be able to, because they really kind of fit together. And so I look at the list we've looked at so far. They were pretty easy to think about. You know, you think about love, you think about joy, you think about kindness. It's pretty easy to think about God working those things out from us. But when you talk about goodness and you talk about faithfulness, it's a little more complicated. Even as I was working on the talk, I was a little more complicated to, to kind of say, Holy Spirit, how are you going to work this in me and produce this fruit in me? It seems like goodness and faithfulness, that seems to be a lot on my shoulders that I'm supposed to be responsible for. But we're going to look at that and combine it in a way that I think you can see through choices we make, how we can forge integrity and we can, afford, we can forge this fruit of the Spirit in, in our lives. So this is a list of certain characteristics. This is a list of certain descriptors of a supernaturally changed heart as we get to that. So what I want to do is I want to define goodness and faithfulness and integrity, just so you can kind of get an idea of where we're going today. Goodness is sincerity of heart. You want to write that down. Goodness is sincerity of heart. It means to be good, clear to the core, 
clear to the core, that you're good all the way to the core. You think about in the early days that we read about Lake Tahoe and how it was clear and you could see so far down, but over the years that uh, pollution and just the environment and people have clouded the waters that you can no longer see. Tahoe is not as clear as it used to be, but the word goodness says that what God expects of us is that we're clear to the core, that all the way to the heart of who we are, that we are consistent in having his character. So that's the kind of person he wants us to be, is basically what you see on the outside is what is on the inside as well. What you see is what you get as you go down through that. Second, faithfulness is dependability of character. It's I'm going to be dependable. You can count on me. Dependability of character. It's epitomized by truthfulness and honesty and reliability, uh, responsibility, a willingness to follow through, as we're going to look at in a little bit, someone who keeps their promises. Now, you combine goodness with faithfulness, and that equals integrity. Goodness and faithfulness equals integrity. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And integrity is authenticity of being. I've just thought about it a lot this week, and I wanted to find it this way. It's authenticity of being. It's total, my totality of being is someone who has integrity. Now, that word integrity actually comes from the root word integer, which means whole number. And it means that the whole of what you see is the whole of what you get. The whole of what you see is the whole of what you get. Now, I, I really think that this topic of integrity is so vital in our culture right now. So vital in our culture right now. We've seen how a lack of integrity could created harm and was harmful as we have heard and we continue to read about the revelations that have come out uh, from institutions and individuals who were uh, oversaw our economic condition and actually made choices which led to our economic crisis and mortgage meltdown, all of that. We just see how a lack of integrity led our nation to be where it is today. If you look around also, you see how a lack of integrity when it comes to sports. You look at coaches and teams and national championships. Recently, UC, USC lost their appeal to maintain their national championship that they lost because of Reggie Bush and the sanctions against them in that way. They lost that. You talk about Jim Tressel in Ohio State. Once again, a man who lost didn't live with integrity. It cost his school. It cost many people because of his lack of integrity. You see a lack of integrity with our elected officials. Yeah, you're on that one. Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, he was our governor, and then we see what he was doing while he was governor, and it came out how he was living his married life. Congressman Anthony Weiner, who last week had to resign because of a lack of integrity. More news coming out that more than likely that Senator John Edwards is going to be prosecuted and he's going, to, uh, lo he's going to lose because of a lack of integrity. You know, all those are important and all those impact us in huge ways. But here's what I want. I want to bring it down to where you live today and where I live. I don't think that there's any place that a lack of integrity hurts more than in the family. I really don't. I think that all those other things that we can weather those, but if there's a lack of integrity in the family, I think that that hurts the most. It hurts the most. Now, that's why this verse from 1 Corinthians 4, especially as it applies to dads and the stewardship we've been given by God over our families is so important. 1 Corinthians 4 says this, it is required that those who have been given a trust must true prove faithful. They must prove faithful. 
And, and that, that verse is a challenge to us. Because as a dad, you got to know, we have been given stewardship over our families. God ordained it that way. We have a duty. We have a responsibility. And like Paul says, we must take that responsibility seriously and we must be faithful to the thing that he's called us to do and the life he's called us to live, that we must be people of integrity. Now, someone who understood this whole integrity and responsibility issue is one of our presidents. Honestly, our very first president, George Washington. My family had the opportunity to be in Washington, D.C. recently over um, for our summer vacation and just had a wonderful time experiencing Washington, D.C. And as you see President Washington, you see him everywhere. In fact, the biggest monument there is to him, just honking thing, where you see it when you get there and you can't miss it almost all the time that you're there because of the impact he had. And you read the stories, you read the quotes, you read about the man. He was a man of deep integrity. He lived for a cause much bigger than himself, even put his life at harm. Well, it reminded me of a quote that Kimberly had read to me when she was able to go visit her parents and they live in Orlando, and so because of Orlando and Disney World, and that Kim and Jordan went to Disney World, and while they were there, there's a Hall of Presidents. Maybe you've seen that, the Hall of Presidents. And the, when it came to George Washington, there was a quote by him, and it fits so well with today when she texted me, this, I've got to use this on Father's Day. So here's the quote. Here's the quote. This is what he says. This is directly before he was to become our first president, the first president of the United States of America. He says this, I walk on untrodden ground. Now you gotta know, untrodden clicks all the spell checks. It's not a word we use today, but it means ground that hasn't been walked on before. Okay, there you go. I walk on untrodden ground. He's saying, I'm gonna step out into ground that hasn't been stepped on by anyone else. And I know that I have responsibility and stewardship here. And he says this, there is scarcely any part of my conduct that may not hereafter be drawn into precedent. So he's saying, everything I do and everything I say is going to impact generations that follow me. I'm setting the precedent. Every treaty I sign, every speech I give, every, you know, all the way we organize our government, everybody that follows will be impacted by my influence. He was a man who understood his responsibility to be a steward of what he'd been given. And dads, I know that there are dads that have come before you. But here's what I want to say to you. As a dad in your family, that you are the one who is walking on untrodden ground, that you are the one who is setting the tone for your family, and that every step you take is setting precedent for your kids and for every generation that follows you. This is how important and how serious it is that we're talking about today. So we talk about this whole idea. It's such a challenge for us as we look at it. Well, when we were in Washington, D.C., I want to tell you uh, something that happened to us while we were there, uh, that uh, we were uh, doing all the touring thing that you could do, and it was packed from, you know, getting up at 4.30 in the morning. Jordan, you did a great job, okay? <laughs> getting up at 4.30 in the morning, going to 10 o'clock at night, just, you know, getting and eating up everything that we could. Well, one day uh, we were uh, stopped for lunch, at a place called Coastal Flats. And while we were there, it was a, a post-lunch crowd, so the lunch crowd's already gone, and we sat down, we had our lunch, and the place had pretty much thinned out, and so we were talking about what we were gonna do next, so that meant a potty break. So I go to the restroom after we'd had lunch, and I'm in there, finish my business, and like every good guy does, I was washing my hands. Uh, sitting there washing my hands, and the door opened up, and in comes kind of this 
little guy, you know, and I looked, I looked there and, and this little guy's walking in. He's really small. And I'm thinking that he's really kind of the age that somebody probably should have been with him in the restroom. And he comes in, he doesn't have any shoes on, doesn't have any socks on, very handsome little kid, very well dressed. It wasn't like he was, you know, off the street or something. And, and I'm just watching him. And then he, he goes, and he looks under the stall and he looks under the next stall and he go, and, and I said, um, buddy, can I help you? And he goes, I lost my armor. And I said, what? He goes, I lost my armor. And I couldn't understand him. And so we're both looking on the floor <laughs> and I can't see anything. And I said, buddy, I don't think what you left is still in here. And where do you think your armor is? You know, <laughs> I couldn't quite get what he was saying. About that time, another guy walks in and this guy looks and sees something. He said, well, what's going on here? Can I help you guys? And I said, well, I can't quite get what he's saying, but he's lost something and it's not here and we can't find it. And so he said, well, buddy, what? He says, I lost my armor. And the guy goes, what'd you say? He goes, I lost my armor. And the guy goes, oh, you lost your grandma. And the boy goes, yes, I lost my grandma. And I'm looking for my grandma. I'm digging in the men's room, under the stuff. And so I, I looked at the guy and he goes, I got it now. And so he went on, did his thing. And so I went outside and there's, door, there's chairs outside uh, both restrooms. And so there's chairs there. So I you know, pulled the chair by the women's and set him down and said, okay, well, wait, I'll wait here with you till your grandma comes out. And so this, immediately this woman comes out, walks by him, doesn't respond, but I'm seeing that she's older and I'm thinking, this is probably the grandma. So I said, is that your grandma? And he goes, yes. And he goes, grandma. And she turned around and she had a look of surprise and shock on her face about what are you doing here? And so she actually asked, what are you doing here? And he said, I wanted to watch you pee. <laughs> he announced it to the whole restaurant. <laughs> And I just couldn't contain it. I started laughing. She started laughing. And she goes, he's four. <laughs> okay, I get it. As I go back to the table, and I was laughing so hard, I had to tell Kim and Jordan everything that happened. And that was the highlight of our vacation right there, okay? <laughs> and it has absolutely nothing to do with my talk. <laughs> I had to share it. It was just so funny. I couldn't stop. Okay, there we go. So let's move on now and talk about Noah, Okay. Talk about Noah and how we can be people of integrity. Going back to George Washington, he was the forger of our nation. So let's talk about how you and I can forge integrity in our lives. The first thing we have to do is choose consistency. We need to choose consistency. If you want to forge integrity in your life, you must determine to be consistent. You must determine to be the same in every situation. Now, the opposite of consistency is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Now, I want to read some verses about Noah. Uh, one verse, actually, from Genesis chapter 6, and I'll make some comments as we go about what this actually means. First, it says, Noah was a righteous man. Now, the word righteous is a common term to use to say that this was, this was a good person that walked with God. This is a good person who lived for God. That's the way it was actually described in that day. He was a good person. So there's the goodness aspect coming out of Noah at this place. And it says this, he was the only blameless person living on the earth at that time. Now, most of the word, most of the time in the Bible, uh, when you find the word blameless, it's used to signify an animal that has been set aside for a ceremonial sacrifice to God. So the essence then of this word blameless means whole, or complete, to have integrity, to be a person of character. So Noah was a good man 
who walked with integrity. He was a good man, good to the core, and he was also someone who had this level of character that couldn't be actually questioned. And then here's how that happened. And he walked in close fellowship with God. He walked in close fellowship with God. And as he walked with God, God worked this out from the inside outward, worked this in his life. And Noah stood out. You got to know, Noah stood out in his culture as a man of character, as a man of integrity, because he lived his life differently than the lives of everybody else in his culture. In fact, it says that the reason that God was actually going to send the flood is that the entire world was vile and corrupt except for Noah. Can you imagine how he stood out? Think about how you stand out when someone sometimes thinks oh, you're a Christian or you go to church or, oh my word, you think how you feel or you might want to hide in some way so that you don't stand up. Noah stood out to everybody that everybody could observe his life and know that he was different and that he was someone who followed God. The Bible says that about that God was going to destroy the earth because there was no one like Noah or everyone else was vile and corrupt. He didn't live according to the values of his culture. He stood apart. He walked with God. He became a man of character. And the way he did that is Noah made choices every day to live according to God's standards. He made a choice to walk with God. Now, what does it mean to walk with God? Well, that meant that he learned to talk to God. He learned to listen from God. He learned to respond obediently to what God was saying to him. He learned to wait with God. He learned to worship with God. He learned to work with God. And he did that in relationship. As Dave was just saying a while ago, it's not about rules. It's about relationship. It happens because he walked with God. I'll just say it this way, people. People of integrity are just normal, ordinary people who chose to walk with God. Just chose to say, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to let him changed my life. Now, a person of integrity, let's think about this consistency idea for just a minute. A person of integrity refuses to deceive people. In fact, a person of integrity will tell the truth no matter what it costs. They have what I'm going to call today integrity of self. In other words, a person of integrity is the same in all situations. Now, I didn't put this on your notes, but Ephesians 4.25, Ephesians 4.25a, if you want to write it down to look at it later, it says this. It says, to stop telling lies, to stop telling lies. And literally it means to put off falsehood or in the Greek, it means to put off the pseudo, to put off the false self that you put on and take that off and be real in every circumstance, in every situation. So what that means is, when we think of integrity, is it's being the whole. It means I'm consistent to the core and I'm going to live a life of integrity so that I am now the same in every place I find myself. The same in every place I find myself. I, have, I don't have a public self and a private self. I don't have a self at work, and then I have a self with play, and then I have a self at home. But I am the same every place I find myself. A person of integrity is the same and we make those choices to say, I'm going to be consistent to have the same self in all situations. Now, you want to think about this a minute. This may make some of you squirm a little bit. What if someone came to you and said, yesterday, I followed you around with a videotape, a video recorder, and I recorded every interaction you had yesterday. 
I recorded every word you said, every look on your face, and everything you did, and I posted it on YouTube. <laughs> How would you feel about that? <laughs> Most of us would say, there were inconsistencies in me yesterday, and that would be the first thing I would think of. It would be the inconsistencies that came out. And what I want us to think about is to be able to be to the place where when we live our lives, not perfect, not perfect by any means, that if someone were to say to you, I followed you around the video recorder yesterday and I posted on YouTube tonight that you wouldn't immediately go to what you had done wrong. But immediately you would be, I, I'm, I can be proud of everything I did yesterday because I've chosen to be consistent in my life. I've made that hard choice, which leads us to the next idea. We're going to skip that next verse. Leads us to the next idea. I need to choose commitment. I need to choose commitment. People of integrity make commitments and keep them. So what it says about Noah, a couple different verses, verse 6, 25, it says, Noah did everything. You might circle that, did everything exactly as God commanded him. Next, Genesis, I mean, Genesis 7, 5 says, Noah did everything, there it is again, as God commanded him. So he was a man of commitment. And then in Hebrews 7, 11, talking about Noah, it says, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. So he was a man who obeyed God, even though he didn't understand it. A man who just did it because he was committed to do so, because he knew that he had chosen to follow God. And so when a person of integrity makes a promise, they make it intending to keep it. That's kind of not normal in our world today. They make it intending to keep it. See, we live in a culture, and that's all of us, folks. When I say the culture, it's all of us. It's not just the people out there, okay? It's all of us right here in this room. We live in a culture where there's so much emphasis on personal freedom, which means keeping your options open, that people find it difficult to make commitments or promises that they're going to be held to. And even if they do make promises, they feel very free to break them as soon as something else comes along that might have caused them any self-denial not to take. So in other words, if something comes along and I'm going to have to have anything, any form of self-denial, I'm going to change my commitment. I'm going to change my promise and I'm going to follow this other thing simply because I don't want to have self-denial and I want to have this other thing that looks better for me or I'm going to follow this in that way. And so when we come to it, a person of commitment says, I'm going to make promises and I'm going to keep them. I'm going to make promises. I'm going to keep them. And you know what? That's the most freeing way to live. Lewis Smith's. He writes in his book called Mere Morality, he says this, he says, and he's talking about making promises and keeping commitments. It's going to sound like he's talking about marriage, but it's not. It's, it's about making promises and keeping them. And this is what he says. When we make a promise, we take it on ourselves to create a future with someone else. And this, where you say, or something else. No matter what, this is key, no matter what fate or destiny may have in store, we're going to keep our promise no matter what fate or destiny may have in store. And then he says this, this is the ultimate of freedom. When I make a promise, I am most free. And people of integrity have learned that and they keep their promises. They make the promises that matter. They're willing to make commitments. That's another thing we want to talk about just a little bit. Is they're willing to make commitments. We're kind of afraid of that today simply because we think making a commitment robs us of freedom. But we make commitments because they set us free actually. Okay, third idea is this from Noah's life. We must choose consecration. If we're going to forge integrity, we must choose consecration. 
Now, I struggled with using this word because consecration, I'm like, oh, will everyone know what that means? And it means that I'm going to consecrate myself. I'm going to give myself. I'm going to offer myself. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to say God comes first. I'm going to say that God is the one I worship. And so people of integrity have consecrated themselves to live as God called them to live. Now Noah did two things which showed his consecration to God. And one, he waited for God. He was a man who waited for God. And in fact, I'm not going to read all those verses there, that whole list of verses about when they were in the ark and um, they'd had the flood. And then Noah's now waiting for the day they get to leave the ark uh, and what happened there. But basically, Noah and his family were on the ark about 375 days about 375 days, about one year and 10 days. Now, can you imagine what that might have been like? I just thought of the smell first. 175, 375 days with all two animals of every kind, and ooh, I had to be a rank place. But just think about the fact that also, he had never been in this experience before. So from the very beginning, when the storms came and everything was going on, all the noises and everything that was going on, and now the lack of noise, and now the new noise, and he's inside, boxed in, he doesn't know what's going on, and he's like, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get out of this box, I gotta get out of here. But he said, no, I'm going to wait on God. So what did he do? He's first, he sent out a raven and a dove. The raven didn't come back. We're not sure about what that means, but the dove came back. The dove said, hey, there ain't no dry land out there and came back or the dove would have stayed and didn't do that. And then next, he sent another dove out. And so the water, that dove um, came back and that dove came back and brought an olive branch in its mouth. So Noah's, okay, there's still, there's dry land enough that produce is grown and yet Noah still waited. So he waited again and he sends the dove out again. This time the dove doesn't come back. They're still in the boat. They're still wondering, when are we going to get out of this boat? When is this going to happen? And about that point, if I was Noah, I would have said, because we have no indication that for 375 days, God ever spoke to Noah. 375 days that God never spoke to him. And he only waited for God's next command. I would have wanted out of that box pretty bad. And I would have looked around and said, well, God must be busy somewhere. It seems to be dry. Let's get out. But Noah didn't. In fact, Noah even, he said, I got to see this for myself. Took the top off the boat, it says, and looked around and saw that it was dry ground. And then God gave them the go ahead to get out. People of integrity willingly submit themselves to God's will, even when they don't understand God's timing. They submit themselves to his will, even when they don't understand his timing. So he waited on God. The second thing is he did, he worshiped God. And it, uh, if I look at those verses there in um, chapter 8, 20 through 22, I'm going to read those. And this is what he did. He says, and then Noah, he finally gets out. Whew. He built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed his burnt offerings, the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. The first thing Noah did is he acknowledged who was first. The first thing he did is he said, I'm going to offer a sacrifice to my God. And he declared it to all creation at that point, that God comes first. 
and people of integrity have determined in their hearts up front, consecrated themselves, God first before myself. God first. I will follow God. And as I follow him, I will trust him and I will trust his timing in my life. And that builds in security for your family. It builds in security into our world when we do that. So I would say this, dads, do you ever, your kids ever get to see your love for God? Do they ever get to see you expressing yourself to them? I just want to applaud you for being here today. This shows to them you're saying God comes first. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to give you the bottom line. If you want to write this in. The bottom line of today's talk is this. Character is forged one choice at a time, one day at a time. And if you want to change day to moment, you can. One choice at a time, one day at a time. Character is not formed. We can look at it and say, I'm going to become a person of character. And I look out there and I see where I am and where I need to go. And I can't microwave myself there. It's one choice at a time, one moment at a time, one day at a time. And as I do that, the Holy Spirit, working from within me, works out goodness and faithfulness. And I become a person of integrity because I chose to listen to him. Let's pray together. God, I come before you and I just thank you so much for, the, for being with us, for speaking to us today. And Lord, I, this, is, this has been the most challenging of all the talks for me. I just know that uh, being with my family for 14 straight days, that I started thinking, I like work. <laughs> and meaning that I was held accountable for 14 straight days. And I saw inconsistencies in me. I saw attitudes. I heard expressions. I made choices that I know didn't exemplify a person of integrity. And I know I'm not alone in that, in this room. And so, God, today we come before you, and we know we can't do this on our own. We know that we can only be the people you've called us to be as we relate to you personally as our Father. And so, God, fill us with your Spirit. And God, as you fill us with, our, with your Spirit, we realize that that's not all that you do. You also tell us we have responsibility. Help us today to choose to be people of consistency to choose to be people of commitment, that our word matters, that people can count on us, and that we would choose to consecrate ourselves before you today, to humble ourselves, to say, God, I'm going to live my life according to your will that comes from your word. And God, I thank you, and I pray that as we make that promise, that not only as dads, but as individuals, that we will realize that the generations that follow us will be different because on this day we said we will be people of integrity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.